Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Inside Job with your hosts, Jess and John. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 23. Can you believe it, Jess? Oh, my gosh. It's been like a year. Anyways, we are in studio with another friend of mine, Andrea. Andrea is another colleague from O2X, amongst many other things that she does. But you guys know the routine. Jess is going to fill you in on all the details. Jess, tell us some more I'm about Andrea. I'm flabbergasted how many friends you have. That's three to date, <laughs> unless you're not my friend, and then that's two. <laughs> all right, everyone. We are joined in studio by Andrea Givens. She has been a registered dietitian for over a decade and is a board-certified specialist in sports dietetics. She's from a small coastal surf town in Northern California, Santa Cruz. She attended San Diego State University for undergrad, woo, Aztecs for life, and completed her dietetic internship through California State University, Sacramento in 2010. She's worked with Division I collegiate athletes at the University of Pacific in Stockton and spent the 2018 MLB season as a sports science intern for the San Francisco Giants and was a sports nutrition fellow for USA Volleyball during their most recent Olympic qualifying year. So cool, Andrea. Uh, Andrea returned to school and earned two master's degrees in nutrition and exercise physiology concurrently from SDSU in 2020. And during this graduate program, she began working in human performance research for the military and has since published data on metabolic demands of cold water diving in naval special warfare, warfare operators. Currently, Andrea works on the physiology team in the Warfighter Performance Department of Naval Health Research Center in San Diego, conducting operationally relevant field, aka real-world research, to optimize readiness in military personnel. Outside of her career, Andrea enjoys um, doing all kinds of active activities. She's finished numerous half marathons, triathlons, 10Ks. She summited Half Dome in Yosemite, stood on local CrossFit podiums, and has done the Alcatraz swim. Wow. A lot, of, a lot of accolades on Andrea's behalf, so yeah, congratulations like on slacker. Yeah, congrats on all that, and welcome to the studio, Andrea. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Our of course. So, with the topic of diet and food and nutrition, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misconception, and a lot of people don't know where to start. So, we're going to be talking about a plethora of topics today on the podcast from sports nutrition to where to get started to the different fad diets out there at the moment. So. Bear with us, Andrea. We have lots of questions coming from all angles. And for listeners, we hope we answer your questions. At the end, we're going to ask you a couple that we received on our social media platform, Instagram. So we'll go through that after. All right. So let's start off from the very basic here. All right. So, Andrea, what made you pursue a career as a registered dietitian? So I was just starting out in community college and was just taking like a general health class. And a portion of the class was on nutrition. And I remember the teacher just talking about how like the food you eat you know, gets broken down in your body and processed and that turns into energy and either, you know, promotes health or um, prevents health. And I just like never thought of food that way. It was like this kind of light bulb moment. I thought it was so fascinating. And then talking with some friends I that were already, um, you know, in universities and learned that you can actually study nutrition like as a major because I was just going to community college to get my credits done and right. so then when I found out you could specifically study and major in nutrition mm-hmm. I was like okay I'm sold like that's what I'm gonna do and that's how I originally got into it and um, I actually didn't even know what a registered dietitian was mm-hmm. um, until I got to San Diego State and I was already in the major and then they were like okay so like you're gonna become a dietitian and like here's what you're going to do. And I was like, okay. Like I was already 
on board and and that's yeah that's kind of how I got got started with all of it that's great and you mentioned food being broken down as energy and I think a lot of people think of food and you know solely their fuel or pleasure what is your theory on food do you think is it both is it one or the other yeah so that's a really good question and a lot of people um kind of give like food power and they give it kind of like a moral construct like food can be like good or bad which is like absolutely false because then if you are giving food if you're saying food is good or saying food is bad then if you are to eat that food then you're automatically good or bad which is like whoa back up that's like not what food is at all Mm -hmm. like food is just fuel and of course there's foods that are more nutritious or have different nutrient profiles but um, just at the basis of everything like food is fuel it's it's a biochemical reaction once it goes into your body and a biochemical reaction <laughs> andrea that seems so like not fun but uh i guess it is that's exactly what it is right it's just fuel for our body and for us to keep moving forward so with all this so uh, tell me more about how like where did all this passion come from and like making food choices healthy and where did that all come from would you say so that? growing up in santa cruz for those of you that don't know, it's uh, pretty crunchy granola, little <laughs> corner of the earth. And so I grew up eating very healthy, but I, I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't know otherwise. I just ate the food that my mom packed in my lunch for me and ate dinners sitting down together every night with my family, having conversation. Um, with them and yeah it wasn't really until I got into college and um, moved around and kind of opened my eyes to other things that I realized that uh, not everybody eats that way Mm -hmm. and we I learned about something in college uh, called the standard American diet or the acronym for that uh, unfortunately is sad And so, yeah, when people like ask if I've always kind of had a preference for healthy eating, I think I have, but it was just because that's, that's all I knew. And then kind of getting into athletics and, and fitness and just seeing how nutrition helped me in my athletic endeavors and just the way that it helped me fuel and recover uh, just kind of makes it the easy easy choice now and um, I'm, I'm just like everybody else I, I like foods that are less healthy as well mm-hmm. um, but I can definitely tell when I uh, when I don't fuel properly yeah so I gotta I gotta dive in here for those of you who may know Andrea and on your IG and your other social media posts like I think you love peanut butter more than I do <laughs> Which is unbelievable. I think I love peanut butter more than most people. <laughs> like, it's seriously, like, it's a joke at my house. Like, peanut butter powders with the peanut butter. Like, I, it's all mixed in there. Like, peanut butter and everything. Um, <laughs> until I met Andrea, and I'm like, holy sh- mackerel. So where do we, where does peanut butter fall in to the healthy? Because, you know, you can get, you pick up the Jif, and it's full of sugar and, you know, the oils and whatnot. Yes. So. Yeah. Talk to me about peanut butter, my favorite thing. Oh, I love peanut butter so much. 
Yeah, so peanut butter should just be pretty much ground up peanuts. I know some grocery stores have, if they have like a bulk section, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you can actually just get fresh, freshly ground peanut butter at the grocery store that way. And and that's all it is. It's just peanuts ground up. Uh, Sometimes in the, you know, pre-jarred varieties, they might add like a little bit of salt, which I think is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I would would choose just the less ingredient um, peanut butter options versus one that has like added sugar, added oil. Um, Those are unnecessary ingredients that that don't need to be in your peanut butter. Keep it pure. I think Sprouts has that. The, uh, Where you grind it? I, don't, I mean, I think I've yeah. seen it on the little end caps, like like peanut butter yeah. ready to go, almond butter, and it's cheaper uh-huh. to to buy it that way. Yeah. Is there a big difference in like almond butter to peanut butter to cashew butter? I mean, in regards to like, is it just taste, or if it's made from the same ground nut, does it matter? For yeah. So consequences. So variety is the spice of life. Mm. So if you like almond butter over peanut butter great if you like both alternate awesome um it's kind of like when people ask me like what is like what's the best nut variety and really there is no one best they're all kind of their own nutrition superstar like almonds have more vitamin e and more fiber and walnuts have Mm omega-3s and so each kind of nut has its own like nutrient profile and so like eating a variety or just you know what your preference is um is great cool i think peanut butter i mean in like i guess with all the fad diets that are out there right now like paleo i know peanuts aren't allowed in paleo diet because they're they're technically a legume Mm -hmm. right and not a nut how do you feel about them not being included in like a basic whole foods diet yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, we could probably talk all day about fad diets or paleo diets, mm-hmm. but kind of my outlook in general is uh, it's it's kind of unnecessary to eliminate like entire food groups or categories, especially if it's something that you enjoy. Um, you know, part of your health is your happiness. And I think if you love peanut butter, like I do, like if somebody gave me, like if I wasn't a dietitian and somebody was giving me nutrition advice, they're like, well, you definitely can't eat peanuts. And I like loved peanut butter. <laughs> like that's such a red flag, right? It's yeah. like kind of, you have to remember like common sense and um, being realistic. Right, and then that's really good advice because what are the odds that someone's gonna stick with not eating their favorite food really low, right? Yeah. Really when you tell someone they can't have it, human nature is to eat that thing right away, mm-hmm. right? To crave it more. So speaking of all these fad diets, some of the big ones that are out there right now are keto and carnivore. Specifically carnivore, I've been seeing it everywhere. You have these big like leaders of it, you know, um, what's his name? Like Paul Saladino, he's carnivore MD on Instagram. He actually used to go to the gym I used to work at and where John attended. So I, I've spoken to him numerous times, but he's a huge proponent of carnivore diet and he does integrated carnivore where it's eating fruit, uh, raw dairy, honey, and meat and organs. But this is getting really popular, right? And when I say organs, I mean everything. I mean liver and heart and brain and testicles like liver king liver king too (laughs) liver king's on anabolic steroids that's a whole other ordeal but anyways how do you feel about carnivore diet i do not promote the carnivore diet i think that the scientific evidence that we have on fruits vegetables whole grains from a micronutrient standpoint from a fiber uh, probiotic prebiotic antioxidants like, how can you ignore the mountain of research that we have on how good fruits and vegetables are for you? Like, that just, 
He can't ignore that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's always going to be outliers and things that work for people that right. don't work for everyone. And so some people are going to do well on a carnivore diet and they're going to number one, like eating that way. I think that's the most important thing when it comes to, you know, quote unquote dieting or just sustainable eating practices. You need to be, you need to enjoy it. So it'll be sustainable for you. And then, um, you know, some people are just going to be outliers and and they're not going to have health problems from consuming high amounts of saturated fat, Mm -hmm. which is a concern with, um, with just eating animal meat only. And, you know, if you're, with the organ meats and things like that, like, yeah, there are micronutrients in those, um, in those foods, but it's kind of like if you're, if you're eating like liver or you're eating organ meats to get your micronutrients, like you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. Mm. Like, you know, you can get those things from eating a variety of, of other foods, fruits and vegetables and things that have guaranteed health promoting benefits. Right. And I'm playing devil's advocate here because I I definitely agree with the points you're making. But, you know, that book by Dr. Stephen Gundry, it's called The Plant Paradox. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. He talks about um, how plants naturally have all the defense chemicals like lectins and it's their way of preventing humans from eating them. So people are saying not only carnivore people like, you know, who are on this anti-inflammatory diet have cut out tons of vegetables, right? Because they cause inflammatory responses. What do you think about that? Like lectins found in vegetables, like the nightshades and things of that nature. Yeah. So there's definitely that information out there but look at all of the other like it's not consistent right like look at all of the other research look at all the other information it's not like an across the board like and when you when you look at uh, the scientific literature and studies you know we look at trends and like you know one study says this that's not the end all be all Mm -hmm. it's what is consistently repeated over time in different populations in different areas and you know what what are what's the common denominator what are people finding and if you don't have if you don't have that and there's always like conflicting answers and conflicting you know conclusions then jury's still out Uh, Andrew, I'm really glad you brought that point up because you're right in terms of scientific research and literature we don't have longitudinal studies on carnivore and things like keto yet it's too it's too soon or energy drinks right Mm. yeah i was just thinking about that let's break that down i see a lot of the kids drinking the urban mates and the celsius and urban mate not your what's an urban mate urban mate (laughs) see that's how much i drink those things urban mate urban mate this country (laughs) runs on caffeine Let's talk about caffeine. I can hey, hear your passion about it. Let's not, not jump to the head of the line here. We got we to worry about these okay. energy drinks Back first. up energy <laughs> drinks that are full of caffeine. Yeah, so caffeine is a... Well, we talked... I mean, we said earlier, food provides energy, mm-hmm. right? Actual energy at the cellular level from mm-hmm. metabolism. We eat food. Our body breaks down. We metabolize it. We get energy. Um, energy drinks are actually a misnomer because the main ingredient being caffeine. So caffeine is a central nervous system stimulant. <laughs> it makes your brain, I love caffeine, I love so coffee. It makes same. your brain feel awake and alert. It makes exercise feel easier. However, it doesn't provide you with actual energy, only food does that. So in the mornings, a lot of times people drink coffee to, to wake up and they don't eat food and that's a huge mistake because you feel awake and alert and you kind of have this false sense of oh i have energy from my coffee Um, but then you kind of start your day on on fumes because you haven't 
you haven't eaten anything. And then the problem with all the quote unquote energy drinks that shouldn't even be called that, um, well, they might have sugar in them um, in high amounts, but even the ones that don't, the caffeine content in those is like way too high. Mm-hmm. Um, most adults should stay under like 400 milligrams of caffeine like in an entire day. Ooh. And just <laughs> just to kind of give some, um, some examples. So um, like if you're brewing coffee at home or maybe at getting some from Starbucks or something like that, for about one cup or eight ounces, there might be around like 80 to 120 milligrams. So we'll just say like 100 um, per like cup. Um, and then a lot of energy drinks have two, three, 400 milligrams. And who's going to only drink half of, a, of an energy drink can and then just say, oh, right. that's yeah. enough. And they have huge ones, too. Yeah. Like 32-ounce energy yeah. drink. Well, that's good about the caffeine or the coffee because I was thinking there was more than that. Um, it depends on the like the brew method. They're going to uh-huh. like vary. But What would be higher? Like a different brew method? Like, like a French press would maybe have higher? Does that matter? Yeah, and it depends. Like, you know how it, do you actually follow the instructions on your coffee maker? Like, put this volume of grounds per this the much machine water. machine does it auto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so like if you put more grounds in mm-hmm. for mm. a smaller volume of water, like okay, you can kind of concentrate sense. it on your own. Yeah. All right. <laughs> right, and I think, I mean, a lot of people don't know anything about food at all in general, right, including caffeine. That was a big mic drop, right? It's not energy food gives you energy not not you know liquids or caffeine mm-hmm. which is a, it's a drug it's a stimulant yeah so andrew let me let me ask you this someone comes in to see you and they don't know the first thing about nutrition but they want to eat healthier they don't have a specific goal in mind like weight loss or you know body comp change they just want to learn how to eat better where do you suggest they start so when you're working with a dietitian and that's one of the benefits to going to see a professional Uh, we always start with a nutrition assessment. And so we're gonna be going through a number of different areas of the person's diet history, health history, lifestyle, like environmental factors, skill level when it comes to kind of cooking and things like that. Um, And then we also kind of assess their knowledge. Because if we're gonna be providing them with education or guidelines, we need to make sure that they are, you know, where are they at and we're kind of meeting them there. So it really depends you know, with the goal setting and then the action plan that follows, it kind of depends on on the person. But we, I always start with like asking them like a lot of questions and doing the assessment first. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if you were to give like one piece of advice, like, you know, start with eating whole <clears throat> foods, like grass-fed meat, free-range, you know, chicken and eggs, a lot of vegetables, fruit, like what is your advice? If just to give a general, what's your general theory around food? So minimally processed, like you said, kind of like whole foods, that's like the quality is definitely one easy place to start. We kind of say to, um, you know, people can easily become overwhelmed and then they don't want to change anything. And so starting with kind of low hanging fruit, that definitely could be food quality. So, okay, instead of the peanut butter with the added sugar and the added oils, like let's just buy the other one Mm -hmm. or um, food portion size like food quantity is another kind of low-hanging fruit 
So sometimes people just have their portions off and we can kind of just go over like, here's what like a, a meal template or like a plate. And here's like kind of the portion sizes. Um, a little bit more of your plate needs to be some colorful fruits and veggies and a, a little less on the on the carb portion. Um, or a really common is like I mentioned earlier is that people are not like eating breakfast. And just going back to the whole like food is fuel and you wanna fuel up for like the task at hand. And mm-hmm. you know, it's like our body is kind of like a car, like a car runs on gasoline and like you never drive your car somewhere and then fill it up with gas, right? You'd always right. put gas in first so you're able to drive somewhere. So food is the same way. You wanna make sure that you're getting in food before you're training, going to work, needing to you know be present. So would you, so you're probably not a believer in intermittent fasting then? If you're going down that route, I'm just curious. Cause like for me, I wake up in the morning. I typically don't eat breakfast and I'm just not hungry in the morning. Um, Is dinner your biggest meal of the day? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really common for. explain. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I hear that a lot for people that aren't, um, aren't hungry in the morning is Uh then we kind of back it up and we're like, okay, well, what's, what when is the last time that you're eating and kind of like what is that meal looking like Mm -hmm. um some people are truly not breakfast eaters and that's fine Mm -hmm. um if that again works for you and then depending on like when you are either working out or when you're like most either physically active or need to be like most cognitively active um, if you're getting in food kind of surrounding that Mm -hmm. um intermittent fasting in terms of um weight loss is has been shown to be effective because it essentially just reduces the amount of calories you're consuming when you're only eating between a certain window mm-hmm. um, however they just did a actually a year-long study which is really impressive and people that were intermittent fasting did lose weight um, however the other group that just had a normal calorie restriction lost the same amount of weight mm-hmm. so in terms of like from a weight loss standpoint um, if if that works for you and that kind of structure is is better for you, then that's fine. Um, I don't recommend it for like athletes um, because they pretty much need to be like either fueling up or refueling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also don't recommend it for women. So, and the easiest way to explain that in a non-scientific way is I just ask people who gets hangrier, a man or a woman? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danielle does, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but she knows it. And she's like, I need to eat. Like, it's go time. Yeah. So men do better with mm-hmm. if they choose that kind of intermittent fasting okay. um, kind of eating pattern. Um, you guys are more, you're more resilient to that, to being without food. Um, <laughs> women don't do as well. So. <clears throat> so what is a normal breakfast look like? I shouldn't say normal, but like a healthy breakfast. So like typically my breakfast is... I love, like, where were we at, like, with this chia seed? <laughs> I got on this chia seed uh Oh, chia pudding. seed pudding? I love it. Yeah. Coconut milk, chia seed, and then, like, some berries in there, some fresh berries. Nice. And um, peanut butter powder, of course. <laughs> <laughs> How can you go wrong? And a scoop of peanut butter. Um, so, I mean, what, what do, I mean, some protein, ideally more in the morning than, let's say, your carbohydrates or... Yeah, so I kind of go off of like a a template. So Mm -hmm. you want for your meals, you want to make sure you have protein, carbohydrate, and then just to simplify it, I just say color. Mm -hmm. So either like fruit or vegetable. Mm -hmm. So go through the ingredients again. You had the chia seeds, 
juicy. What was, did you put liquid in it? It was the, well, the coconut milk it sits in. Oh, coconut in. milk. Yeah. Okay. And I get like, I think it's like 45 or 45 calories a serving, and I don't know what the serving is. Cup, maybe? I don't know. And you should probably read that s- label. And then <laughs> berries and peanut butter powder. Yep. Yeah. So I would say that a little low on protein. Okay. I mean, there are there is protein in chia seeds. Mm-hmm. I guess it depends on the, the quantity that you're, you're eating. There's a lot. But. <laughs> There's a lot of chia seeds. <laughs> well, you could have could have hit I'll, it. But. <laughs> should I chop up some hard-boiled eggs in there? That sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> John, John can ask Andrew about his uh, nutrition concerns after the podcast. <laughs> well, I'm sure people, a lot of people do the same thing. They a good amount know. of protein in the morning for most people is going to be anywhere between maybe for like a smaller female, probably like around 15 grams. Mm-hmm. Guys... 35 can be you know upwards of 35 40 mm-hmm. grams okay. yeah all right i guess enough about me <laughs> what else are we gonna talk about <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> i just kidding i mean uh, it, like you said context context matters it depends what you're doing are you an athlete are you do you have activity that morning are you not training till later it matters right but what I, how I've always felt for breakfast is eating something more satiating is a lot better for me and without an insulin spike. So I try to keep my breakfast like a little bit higher protein, higher fat, lower carbohydrate, but still get some fruit in there. Um, I don't like to feel like I'm spiked in the morning with carbs. I don't, I don't feel good. I do feel that crash and I have low energy right after. So having something more filling. But again, if you're about to compete, you don't want something really filling and dense in your stomach. So it just depends. What do you right. think about that, Andrea? Yeah, 100%. And what, what time of day do you typically work out? Um, usually around 10 or 11. Yeah. So you allow time for yeah. your food in the morning to be digested. Yep. Yeah. If I work out earlier, I'll eat after, right after, you know, I try not, I train faster if I'm working out early, but yeah. And workouts probably an hour, an hour. Yeah. 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 So absolutely. It depends on the person, what their preferences are. And, you know, when we're working with people, um, nutrition needs and um, when we estimate how many within people's calorie limits how many carbohydrates you need how many grams of protein how much fat you know if people have a tendency like oh I tend to like a higher protein or higher fat breakfast or I you know oh I love carbs like there's room to kind of be flexible and you know find food recommendations and food items that like fit within someone's preferences that also like meets their like fueling needs right okay that's a good answer and in terms people have a lot of challenges with food right what, what would you say are the biggest challenges people face with making good food choices man our environment and our culture like we are like convenience we mm-hmm. are like victim to that um, we are rushing around all the time without a plan. You know, they say failing to plan is planning to fail. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, just falling victim to like doing things for convenience um, and also like decision fatigue. Like we make so many decisions every single day. And on top of all those decisions we have to make for our job and in our families and relationships and then on top of that like trying to decide like what to eat for dinner or you know what to have for lunch and we will just make the you know path of least resistance and and go for convenience and that might not be the most you know healthful option so i think that yeah just convenience and our environment is is challenging because it's easy to go grab something fast and you know eating out 
um, tends to be higher carbohydrate, mm-hmm. more processed, higher fat. You know, even like when you go on vacation, like it's hard to get in protein and it's hard to get in like fruits and vegetables, right? And so, and the same thing at home eating out, it's hard harder to get in those things. Right. And in terms of convenience, if you were to give like one tip, I'm not going to call it a trick, it's not a trick, but like one tip to being more prepared, something that can be simply or easily done, what would you say? So if you make any type of meal prep kind of part of your like bedtime routine, um, so even if that's just getting together some like non-perishable like snack items mm-hmm. you can have in your car, in your bag, in your purse, in your locker at work that don't need refrigeration so things like trail mix those dried like chickpea you know snacks Mm -hmm. um any type of um like bar um that's like a whole food based you know like a kind or an rx bar Mm -hmm. um beef jerky you know things that are snacks that if even if you can't put throw together a whole meal at Mm -hmm. least you have you know some some healthy snacks on hand that's a good one yeah that's good there's uh (coughs) excuse me I mean, just you're right, because like in our society today, especially in some of these smaller towns I've been visiting, I mean, it's just on every corner. You drive through on a road trip or something, but it's like KFC, Jack in the Box, McDonald's, Burger King. I mean, it's like, and it's inexpensive, and especially with the prices going up on everything, it's it's creating such a huge epidemic, unfortunately, on the back end of that, which people don't see. I mean, they see it. All you got to do is open your eyes, look around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, but it's just so slow moving for them, maybe personally. But yeah. Um, and when you're traveling, and you know, most of the time we think of those fast food restaurants as like the only mm-hmm. meal options. But I tell people like, don't, don't discount like grocery stores as convenient, healthy places to get food. Mm-hmm. Most grocery stores that you walk into have like a pre-prepared. Um, meal section that either has uh, salad, they now sell hard-boiled eggs that are already hard-boiled in little packages, sandwiches, you know, um, you can you can get a Greek, a single serve like Greek yogurt and some trail mix and a fresh piece of fruit, like you mm-hmm. can, if there's a, or the deli, they have like, you know, fresh sandwiches you can get um, from grocery stores. And I mean, if there's fast food restaurants, there's a grocery store. That's right. a great tip, too. That is a great tip. I think people need reminded about that. That's absolutely an option, probably the better one, right, out of all the other stuff when you're driving around. Mm-hmm. Okay, Andrew, you have some really cool experience under your belt when it comes to sports nutrition, having worked with the uh, San Francisco Giants and USA uh, volleyball. 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 How, what got you into sports nutrition, sports um, dietetics, and what was your experience like working in a professional setting? I just personally found... Uh, interest in sports nutrition with myself um, and using the things that I learned in college and in my dietetic internship about nutrition and I kind of just used them on on myself and I was like training for uh, I think it was the first half marathon I did back in 2010 Mm -hmm. and it just really impressed me like what nutrition did um, for training and running and recovery and just it was just fascinating i'm like this is awesome um and so then you know getting into crossfit and just kind of going down that path personally i'm like this would be so fun to do as a professional you know right role as well um 
And yeah, I just think it's, you know, like food is magic. It is, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and just the performance kind of realm of it. There's so much that people don't know that food can be, can be useful for, like not only in performance, but also in like injury prevention, recovery mm. from injury. Interesting. Yeah. Return to play. Like, you know, let's say you break a bone and you go to the doctor and you know, the doctor's always like, well, it's going to be six to eight weeks, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> so nutrition makes it six. Like that is the power of nutrition. And it's something also that we tell like young athletes that this is something that you have in your toolbox that your opponent may not be paying attention to. And this can give Mm. you like the edge and the advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually just spoke last month to a USA um, swimming like kids camp Mm -hmm. that was at San Diego State. Nice. And they yeah there's young kids and i'm like this is so cool that your guys's organization brought in totally you know somebody to talk about nutrition because these are you know middle school high school aged kids and i'm like guaranteed your you know opponents when you go to your swim meet and your competition they're not thinking about nutrition and so you guys just by doing these simple things you know, making sure you're eating breakfast, bringing snacks with you, recovery mm-hmm. nutrition as soon as you get out of the pool, you know, just ta- meal timing and all this stuff. Like people people don't think about that. So that can give you an edge for sure. What's good recovery nutrition? So we had uh, another guest on here the other day. She was saying that um, cherry juice, tart, tart cherry, cherry juice. juice. Yeah. yeah. So what, what would be a good... What's good food to eat after you work out? Yeah, so I like to kind of keep it simple, and I like to say the three R's of recovery nutrition to mm-hmm. hopefully make pe- help people remember. I don't know if it does or not. So we need protein to rebuild. Mm-hmm. We need carbohydrate to refuel, and then we need fluid to rehydrate. So as long as you have those three things, mm-hmm. you're probably doing pretty good. And that can be like... A lot of different food combinations and that's again where it comes down to like people's personal preference like Mm -hmm. you could have um, a smoothie with you know frozen fruit whey protein powder and some milk and there you have all three things you have protein you have carbohydrate you have fluid Mm -hmm. you could have um, a Greek yogurt and some fruit you could have or even like a meal it doesn't have to be you know kind of like a snack or something and then all of those like extra beneficial things that people talk about like the tart cherry juice yes yeah and um yeah there's just any like i like to think of nutrition as like additive like what can Mm -hmm. you add instead of like a lot of people think oh like you're a dietitian like i shouldn't eat this or i need to restrict this or diet and they think of like restriction but like I'm all about like adding things in. Like, how can you add more antioxidants? How mm-hmm. can you, you know, add more um, protein? How can you add all these different foods and, and get more nutrition? So, like with an injured person that you were talking about, make it six weeks. So, same deal. Just pro, not just protein, but the protein, carbohydrates, fluid. That's what you're aiming for for a quicker recovery. Or, or from an injury? Yeah, so injury is really interesting because there's this acute phase of injury where your energy needs are actually really high. Mm-hmm. But 
you're sitting on the couch, right? Mm. And so your appetite is not really there. Okay. And it's easy just to eat ice cream and convenience foods that, you know, might not support um, all of your recovery needs because there's a lot of, you know, rebuilding and regeneration that needs to happen. So making sure that you're, number one, eating enough calories, especially in that, like, acute injury phase, enough protein, um, and then depending on whether it's, like, bone or soft tissue or something, then, um, you know, other micronutrients are important. But, yeah, that's that's a time to, like, get to dial into your nutrition and and work on that while you're not training right that's such a great point i think that what we're missing today from education you can correct me if i'm wrong but there's so there's just minimal information out there with around food in schools even in a medical like school setting i have a friend who um is doing his residency here we had him on the podcast as well but he was saying throughout his entire you know medical school like i think the four years whatever he was in they took like one nutrition class it's like well food is medicine we've been taught this for a very long time why is it not on the forefront of the curriculum i don't get it i mean do you, like it should be right i think so <laughs> yeah what's going on i don't know i don't know why it's not taught in all schools or it's mm-hmm. not consistent and it's i mean it's kind of well known and and a joke pretty much when it comes to medical education that nutrition is non-existent you know they Mm -hmm. get that one semester class if that yeah or what we're serving our kids in school pizza day hot dog day chicken nuggy day yeah it's so bad what um what exactly were you doing when you were working with usa volleyball and the giants were you making their meal programs what were you doing so with the San Francisco Giants, I was actually a sports science intern okay. under the strength and conditioning oh, coach. So cool. Yeah, so um, I helped with their kind of supplement um, distribution um, and their recovery. We did a lot of recovery smoothies, mm-hmm. um, helped the chefs in the kitchen with um, kind of supplemental nutrition. Um, I've never met anybody that eats more food than a professional baseball player. Okay. Well, they eat. They just stand around out in the outfield, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the sports where, like, it's all in the training, mm. right? Like, their game day is ever, like, is our, like, rest day. Like, their game day is sometimes when they're the least active, right? Okay. But what you don't see is all the training and everything right. that they put in every other day of the week, all the lifting, all the conditioning, the batting practice yeah and they're eating a lot multiple times throughout the day um and then with usa volleyball uh so their training facility is in um, southern california in anaheim and so they have their national team come every year from about april to september and they live locally the athletes do and then they come every day to the training facility from like maybe 8 a.m to 3 p.m and they train they lift, they eat. Um, and so I helped to stock their team rooms with food that was like breakfast and snack food. And then we actually had a chef and we had a catered lunch, um, like rotating menu. Um, and so I kind of oversaw that and helped facilitate the, cool. the lunches. That's so awesome. Yeah. Were they, so like something like that, is it, it could be a free for all, but like is each individual athlete given a certain meal based on their size and goals depending on what they're trying to accomplish or they have so everybody would eat the same Mm -hmm. like lunch meal um but they were 
you know, we'd have the nutrition information available and they're very knowledgeable on like portion sizes okay. and yeah, but it was a, um, like a self-serve okay. lunch. So yeah. you just touched really briefly, you, I mean, literally one word supplements and, <laughs> <laughs> and you, we, even before we even got on the air here that we talked about, we could do a whole podcast just on supplements alone, but something I have learned from you, uh, since I've known you about the supplements is that we want to source supplements that have been independently tested. Yeah. So I wonder if you could expand on that for some of our listeners. Yeah, definitely. So I'll just even take one step backwards and just kind of preface this all with, you know, dietitians mantra is like food first always. Mm -hmm. And so we should be able to get most of the things that we need through our diet, through whole food sources. In some instances, you can fall short on things. Um, you know, if you have blood work done and you have a low vitamin D level, or maybe some of the females have a low iron level, low ferritin level, um, and there's supplements in that sense that help to correct a deficiency. Um, so that's kind of one thing. And then the sports world, we have what we call ergogenic aids, which are things that you can take that can provide you with a performance benefit. So caffeine is actually one of those things. Of course, a lot of people drink caffeine that don't exercise, but mm -hmm. um, caffeine helps to lower our perception of effort with exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and then other common supplements out there are things like even just protein powder, um, creatine, um, and things like that. And so, yeah, when you say good source supplements, so yeah. in the U.S., you know, medicine and food is highly regulated, um, but supplements are not. And so they're, they're kind of regulated in what we call, we refer to as a post-market fashion, which mm -hmm. means there's no checking of anything before something is bottled up, put on the shelves and sold. And so that can be really scary because we could be paying for something that we don't know what it is, or even worse, there could be something that could harm us. Right. Um, in the supplement. And so you always want to look for third party testing in your supplements. So even just your protein powder, you want to make sure that that has either like an NSF informed choice, USP or other like third party testing. And so what those companies do is they come in and they make sure that what is in the supplement actually is in there mm. in the amounts that That's they nice. say and taking it a step further, some of them also test for cross-contamination or banned mm -hmm. substances. Okay. And that's, I think, really good that you mentioned that, what to look for, because the FDA doesn't regulate supplements, right? Right. Which is so bizarre, because, you know, these kids are go walking into GNC and getting all these things, you know, like, that's another podcast, but SARMs, and you, are you familiar with that, John? No, or, what is that? Uh, selective androgen um, Recept receptor modulators. modulators. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's basically <laughs> anabolic steroids without a lot of the effects, like the... Um, hormonal effects that you get like to have more manly like masculine or feminine features but they're basically they're they're legal but they're sold in supplement stores because the FDA doesn't regulate them mm. kids are getting their hands on them it's scary right I mean all these things are, we don't we don't know what the effects of them are going to be it's in a lot of supplements so I think it's a good point that you brought up they need to we need to look for independent testing yeah with them okay one thing that we hear all the time on social media and just over the internet in general is IIFYM, if it fits your macros, okay? So tracking macros, macronutrients being the three, name them, Andrea. Protein, carbohydrate, and fat. Yes, exactly. So everyone needs different percentages based on their activity, right, and their goals and what such. Do you think tracking calories is the best way to 
to look to eat food based on a goal whether that's weight loss strength gain whatever that may be do you think you need to track your macronutrients so it depends on the person i like to say that tracking is a tool that can be used if the person is interested in doing that and has a good enough kind of nutrition knowledge base or is willing to like learn um, and wants to do that. Um, it Tracking is a tool to teach you the nutrient value that's in foods and tracking should eventually become needless because you should kind of learn how much protein mm-hmm. is in your chia seed pudding and then you <laughs> won't have to track that anymore, right? Because you'll just know, um, yep. okay, this gives me about 10 grams so I'm gonna need to uh, add something complimentary to, to get up to my 25 grams. So, <laughs> so tracking can definitely be used as a tool to kind of, to learn that, to be like, okay, I really want to get like 20, 25 grams of protein at my breakfast. What does that look like? How can I, how can I build that as a meal? Um, it is, you know, kind of in the beginning, very tedious and kind of cumbersome to be, you know, putting into your phone app everything that you're eating. Um, Some people, you know, are very precise and and weigh and measure their food. And, um, you know, some people, depends on if you have really specific goal, if you're in like a weight class sport or at a very competitive level of sport, then absolutely that might be something that you need to do. For general, you know, population, just a recreational athlete or somebody that's looking to either put on muscle or lose weight, uh, you might not need to get that, you know, specific and um, and do that. But it's definitely an option. It's a tool. Goal of weight loss, that's pretty popular amongst a lot of demographics. And, you know, we hear calories in, calories out. At the end of the day, it's an energy exchange, right? What we take in, we have to expend more of if we want to lose weight. For someone who doesn't want to track, and that's a lot of people, it's a tedious job sometimes, where do you start with people who want to lose weight? And they don't want to track their food. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll look at kind of educating just on, like, portion sizes. A lot of times we'll use, like, even just somebody's, like, hand. Like, okay, your um, protein on your plate should be the size of the palm of your hand, and that tends to work out for most people because people, smaller people with smaller hands, like, have, need less protein. You know, John... Your palms are probably appropriate for your protein needs, you know, or like your um, kind of cupping your hand is like half a cup or like your fist closed is like a cup. And so kind of just going by, let me call them like handy portions and kind of showing them how to like construct a plate. Um, I mean, we even do this with athletes, what we call them performance plates. And, you know, even if you... Um, even if you're not, vi- if you're, you don't have a visual, like I can just even explain this on the podcast. Like if you just picture a plate, if you draw an imaginary line down the center mm-hmm. of your plate, like half of your plate should be colorful, you know, non-starchy vegetables. A quarter of your plate should be lean protein. A quarter of your plate should be carbohydrates. Um, and, you know, that we kind of adjust that template. If you have a higher energy expenditure, that carb portion of your plate can get a little bit bigger. Um, but if you're looking, you know, weight maintenance, weight loss, and that carbohydrate portion is going to be the one that changes the most. Mm-hmm. Your protein needs really don't change um, too much. But I would kind of go off of like meal, that meal template. Um, and then probably my just right off, skim off the top, like easiest way to cut calories is I say don't drink your calories. So mm-hmm. having water, sparkling water, 
um, you know, calorie-free beverages is a really easy way to knock off calories because people are drinking, you know, juice. They're having these um, sugary coffee drinks. Um, they're drinking energy drinks, alcohol, like all those things are adding a lot of calories, but they don't fill you up. And so it's easy to, to overconsume calories just by drinking them. I want to touch on the alcohol one because I just saw another one of your posts because you're talking about like, let's say there's a drink that's I only have 50 calories in it, but then it's not accounting for the alcohol that's going to make the calories or give you calories or what's the breakdown on that? Because Yeah. So when we talk about the macronutrients, protein, carbohydrate, and fat, mm -hmm. so those each provide calories. So protein and carbohydrate each provide four calories per gram and fat provides nine calories per gram. And what people don't realize, because it's not an essential nutrient, is that alcohol provides calories, seven calories per gram of alcohol. And so you'll see on the um, cans of like alcoholic, like a seltzer or something, mm -hmm. it'll say like zero sugar, no sugar. And then people turn it around and they're like, well, how is this 100 calories if there's no sugar in it? Mm -hmm. And what they're not realizing is that alcohol has calories. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Boom. Yep. Nailed it. So I just don't drink. Because I can't because <laughs> I can't add. Right. <laughs> or and something think, like that. I think a big one with calories is just people here, I mean people a lot of everywhere, just eat too much. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I remember in, in high school, for example, after soccer practice, I was eating four bowls of pasta. Do I need four bowls of pasta anymore? Absolutely not. Did I need it then? Probably not. But the point is we eat too much. Right? So starting maybe with a smaller plate. Yeah. Yeah, there's Could be tons an easy of way. yeah, totally. There's tons of tips like that. Um, eating the pro whatever the protein portion of your meal is, like mm -hmm. eating that first, eating your vegetables first, um, having water, putting your fork down in between bites, being more mindful, focusing on you know the conversation, putting your screen, your phone down. So good. Like that is like mind blowing. Like and and the time it takes you to eat. Like people eat and like less than five minutes standing mm -hmm. up in the car you know and they're on their phone scrolling on the screen at their computer like if you're Guilty. working like get away from your desk and take 10 minutes for lunch and you know get up get outside get fresh air put your put your phone down put your screen down just having like more mindful mm -hmm. mindfulness practices around around eating um and i would imagine that would help with digestion as well you're just in a ideally calm space and you're not so stressed out ideally mm -hmm. sitting outside being out in the open and yeah if you live here then it's kind of easy to be like yeah. damn it's beautiful here yeah and if you can get like even if you can get up away from like your desk or work when you're eating and get outside and even just like mm -hmm. taking one to three minutes to like walk after you eat um in my grad program they're actually doing studies on that with um like postprandial, so post-meal, like blood sugar levels. And they were kind of looking for like the minimum effective dose. So they did after a meal, they did just walking like up and down like stairs. And they did one minute, um, I'm not remembering exactly, but like three or five minutes and then 10 minutes. They were not expecting to see an improvement in one minute of stair stepping, yeah. but they did. Wow. And so if you can, and all that means, is eating your lunch not at your desk right like yeah. get up go walk somewhere stage. else yeah. to go eat and then take a minute to walk back your blood sugar is going to be better than if you just sat down 
Nice. So, and getting outside is even better. I like to call it an oxygen cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> getting out for a walk uh-huh. after a meal. I love it. Uh-huh. Go take an oxygen cocktail. <laughs> I, I love that. that. Those are calorie free. You actually burn yeah. them. Burning some calories while you're at Yay. it. Yay. Very good. Um, and on the other side of the coin, Andrea, we talked about weight loss, which is a big goal, but also for a lot of, I think, primarily prepubescent boys and even um, sports specific, you know, people like O-line who need to put on weight, whatever that may be, whoever position, they have a hard time gaining weight. And when it's really hard to gain weight, you have to kind of force feed. You have to get those calories in. What do you recommend to people who are trying to gain weight? They have really fast metabolisms and they can't put weight on. So the word that comes to mind is just patience. Um, there is, there are physical and physiological developmental stages called tan. They're called the Tanner stages, mm-hmm. and it's basically like the stages of puberty. And we know that before puberty, you just don't have the hormones and the physiological kind of environment to like put on lean mass, especially for boys. And so you could be, and this is kind of a problem because, you know, guys are wanting to like put on weight and they just can't because their body isn't ready for that yet. (laughs) And then they go to the GNC and they Mm -hmm. take an unsafe supplement, a mass gainer or something, and it doesn't work. And then they, you know, it's so, um, really if you are on top of it, eating frequently, eating a lot, eating enough and you still feel like you're not gaining appropriate weight, then that's the time to focus on skill building, to focus on other things that, and then just be patient when it comes to like putting on mass. And then once you go through puberty, then they'll be able to like just lay on the muscle. Right, that's a good point. Like it's, your hormones are hugely at play here. You know, a lot of those boys, like they buy like those big carb gainers, like supplements. How do you feel about those kinds of things? So again, you know, if they're third party tested, they're okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, you know, I just mentioned if you're trying to lose weight, the easiest way is to is to not drink your calories. So on the flip side of that, if you're trying to put on weight, an easy way to add extra calories, because a lot of people are like, I just can't eat so much food, so much volume of solid food. Mm. So a good way to add additional calories is through things like smoothies and shakes and drinking, you know, milk and um, like 100% fruit juice and things like that, that will, um, are more like calorie dense. Um, so a mass gainer is, is just that. It's a powder of carbohydrates, protein. Yeah. Um, there's nothing special about it except for that it's just a condensed form of calories and you know look for one that has third-party testing okay that's good advice drinking it's the opposite right yeah right andrea i think there's a few people out there who kind of want to know what your work you were doing with the naval special warfare how that was what was that all about what were you doing over there yeah so i got involved with that during my master's program and it ended up being my uh paper that i wrote for that and it was it's been published in frontiers and physiology so you can look it up if you guys are interested Thank you. So yeah, we were looking at um, the effect essentially of extremely cold water, like six degrees Celsius. Um, Which is Fahrenheit. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Go ahead. (laughs) And of course, these divers were wearing wetsuits, Mm -hmm. um, and the way that we measured their energy expenditure was 
through direct cal uh, indirect calorimetry. So we measure gas exchange um, at the mouth. So we did, you can't do that underwater, obviously. So we mm -hmm. did it um, right before they dove mm -hmm. and then um, when they came up um, after like a six hour dive. And so we were able to um, see what the difference was in their, we knew what their like resting energy expenditure was and then after a cold water dive. Um, and their energy expenditure increased significantly and that's just because your body um, expends more calories to create heat to stay warm, to keep mm -hmm. your core temperature, um, you know, within the normal range and none of them got cold. So their metabolisms were, you know, effective mm -hmm. in um, creating enough heat to keep them warm. And, you know, we, we go back to these units and provide that information as, um, you know, information for training and, and preparation. And, you know, obviously if you're diving, you can't eat while you're underwater. So just knowing like what the energy expenditure rate is and knowing what fuels they're burning. So beforehand, they're better prepared. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I tell regular folk about that, everyone's always like, oh, if you're cold, you burn more <laughs> calories. Can I lose weight that way? And unfortunately, it's it's not so simple. Yeah. And the amount of calories extra that you would burn by lowering your core temperature and being really cold and miserable is just not <laughs> worth it. And that's it's not an effective weight loss yeah. method. If it was, people would have figured that out a long time ago. Right. So six hours underwater. That's mm -hmm. amazing. So then what would be the rec? I mean, obviously, depending on size, but like the fuel beforehand is just so important. It's just spelled out to them. Form, essentially right so what we found was everybody increased energy expenditure but mm -hmm. the actual like fuels that they were burning either fat or carbohydrate really varied individually mm -hmm. okay and we know that um like repeat cold exposure um kind of similar to you know like acclimation mm. to like a hot environment or cold environment okay. so we were really seeing differences in um in the actual fuel okay. sources burned yeah body essentially equalized over time Acclimated yeah, just to that. high inter-individual variability, yeah. Nice. What did what did you figure out, Jess? What's six degrees? Oh, six degrees Fahrenheit is uh, 43. Or excuse me, six degrees Celsius is 43. 43. Despite the popularity of cold exposure, ice baths, and cold showers, it is not a weight loss tool. Is that right? That's right. Recovery, changing temperature... T changing muscle temperature but yeah from a from a weight loss standpoint um shivering is is not an effective weight loss method okay mm. that's cleared up perfect sweet <laughs> right for the last couple of questions andrea eating disorders or disordered eating there it's everywhere these days do you notice a higher occurrence within a certain population there's definitely a higher prevalence in female athletes okay um Males do experience um, those things as well, but we see it higher with females and especially in sports that um, emphasize leanness, that are weight class sports, that have an aesthetic component to it, definitely. So things like dancing, gymnastics, even swim when you're in a bathing like suit. Wrestling or? Wrestling, yeah, lightweight rowing or crew, definitely. Mm. Right, so minimal clothing or, you know, where they have to make weight, there's mm -hmm. gonna be a lot of people. What is the difference between disordered eating and eating disorders? So an eating disorder is a diagnosis. Um, those are bulimia, anorexia, so that's an actual medical diagnosis. Um, and then disordered eating, disordered eating is just an irregular, unhealthy eating pattern that potentially could develop into an eating disorder. Gotcha. 
All right, Andrew, we have some questions from the listeners here. Someone asked tips for trying to stay in a calorie deficit while training and lifting. Well job, Jess. <laughs> so trying to remain in a calorie deficit. So it's a good idea in this case, maybe to track your food and kind of see where you're at, see portion sizes, um, get, you know, measuring cups and spoons and kind of weigh, make sure your portions are, are correct. Uh, make sure that you are eating enough protein at meals and snacks. And then I like to kind of sandwich your training with nutrition. So make sure you're eating before, if it's longer than an hour during, and then after the recovery nutrition. And then the remainder of the day is when you can eat less. And so you're not compromising your performance with your training. So you're Mm. eating well around your training period, but then the rest of the day, that's when you can um, have create that deficit and just you know you can have a small deficit 200 calories a day and lose weight you know you need to be realistic with the rate of weight loss that you're anticipating Mm -hmm. the you kind of want to go with the minimally effective dose so what is the least deficit that i can maintain to lose and to lose weight Right. And it's over time. It's gradual. This is not quick. Yeah. If you're doing something drastic, cutting a ton of calories, that's number one, not going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. Number two, you're probably losing a lot of water, a lot of hydration, Mm -hmm. and it's just not sustainable. So we see the people that are able to lose weight and keep it off do so very slowly because Mm -hmm. whatever kind of habits that they've changed, behaviors they've changed, those have become sustainable and they're able to do those over the long term. Gotcha. Nice. I think that's a great, and just again, everything in moderation, right? We can't like lose 20 million pounds in one day and we need to remember that over the course of months or whenever your weight loss window is. So just slowly, steady, right? Mm-hmm. Surely. Okay, second question here. We kind of already covered the first part here, but someone wanted to know your opinion on organ meats, eggs, and bone marrow. Yeah, so eggs are great. We have fully debunked in the scientific community. We have debunked the fact that you should limit eggs because of their cholesterol content. Cholesterol in food is different than the cholesterol in your blood. And Mm -hmm. what we know is that the cholesterol in our blood is mostly influenced by saturated fat. And so eggs have protein. The yolk does have a little bit of saturated fat, a little bit of cholesterol, but it also has micronutrients. There's vitamin D. Um, there's good stuff in eggs. And so eat, eat the whole egg. If you like egg whites, what I recommend people do is to get more protein, um, but kind of keep the calories moderate. You can do, you know, like two eggs or however many whole eggs and then add egg whites on top Mm of your whole eggs Mm -hmm. to increase the protein um and you can you know you can add that as like a protein boost there that's great i like you debunking the cholesterol thing because a lot of times people have really high ldl which is the you know point is the bad cholesterol but a lot of that comes from not moving your body like that's where that gets built up it's not just dietary cholesterol found in food inactivity and the saturated fat are the primary right. yeah lifestyle drivers we see and so easy things to yeah reverse that is moving exercise mm-hmm. and eating less saturated fat more fiber fruits vegetables things like that yeah yep. but and keep the eggs in there cool thanks for clearing eggs, that up walk one minute <laughs> as for bone marrow <laughs> yeah and bone marrow <laughs> <laughs> 
what, what are your opinions on bone marrow? Yeah, so bone marrow, it's kind of like back to the organ meats. Like there is some interesting nutrition, um, you know, qual- composition to bone marrow, but um, I don't think everybody needs to be running out and getting that. Um, if you like it and you want to enjoy it, then that's fine. But it's, again, it's it's not a necessary, it's not, it's not a magic bullet. Right, and the collagen thing. Everyone thinks there's so much collagen in there. Right, with a bone broth, yeah. Yeah, so collagen is just um, three kind of concentrated amino acids, um, which we get through high-quality protein sources. So our eggs, our fish, chicken, other meats, um, and other you know high-quality dairy and other protein sources. Um, and the, the collagen, those three amino acids that are in bone broth, they're in such low quantities that, again, you're kind of barking up the wrong tree if you're trying mm. to guzzle bone broth for the collagen. That's why... Um, like the collagen powder is a concentrated amount of that, the bone mm-hmm. broth. If you like the flavor, like bone broth using that or chicken broth, like even to make your rice with to enhance mm-hmm. the flavor, like that's great. But you're not getting a lot of collagen with that. Okay. okay. I love a good debunk. <laughs> yeah, we got one. You heard it here. Uh, <laughs> hey, Andrea, so last question. Um, but before we get into that, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, awesome information that we're sharing with everyone. So our last question is uh, that we ask everyone, how do you live zesty? And we define zest, the zest for life, the spark for life, like what drives you in the morning, what keeps you going all day. So how do you, what do you yeah, say? Yeah, so I would I would say on the top of my mind is just having good relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I got married Congrats. eight months ago. Congrats. Congrats. Nice. So thank you. Yeah, so just having, you know, quality relationships in your life and working on yourself and on those. And that's a huge part of our health as well is yes. having healthy relationships besides, of course, food and exercise. So yes, that's it. Wonderful. Love that answer, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on the Inside Job Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. See ya. Bye. Bye.